The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to return to the book of Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah, this morning, Lord willing, we'll consider Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. And we are right here in the climax of this book. The Lord has guided Nehemiah back to Jerusalem and the people have had a mind to work. They've galvanized behind his vision and his leadership by the Holy Spirit to do this great work of rebuilding this wall. And as this movement and advancement of the kingdom of God is gaining momentum and gaining steam, you have Satan in the kingdom of darkness trying to come to thwart this great work of the kingdom of God. And that's the climax that we're in right here. And uh, we've mentioned for you before the book of Revelation and how the book of Revelation depicts that in a figurative sense of the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, particularly focused on from Christ's first coming to his second coming. But that's been the story ever since the Garden of Eden is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And praise the Lord, we know the end of that story, which is the same end of this uh, story right here, that the kingdom of God not just squeaks it out at the end in uh, double, triple overtime, right? No, it conquers, it, it consumes, it devours the kingdom of darkness. And... Here in the middle of this, <clears throat> Satan is trying every avenue and every um, option at his disposal to try to thwart this great work of the kingdom of God. And the Lord conquers that, consumes that, and overrules that. And we always want to focus on the end result of this, which we're getting to, that they completed this mighty work, this great work to the glory of God in rebuilding this wall in only 52 days. <clears throat> so we're right here in the climax of these devoted Israelites in Jerusalem pressing through the obstacles that Satan and the kingdom of darkness are putting in their way and overcoming that um, to do this great work for the kingdom of God. And we've seen here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, <clears throat> that Satan's first attacks through Sambalat and to buy. I mentioned the book of Revelation earlier, and Revelation gives us the figurative spiritual battle that's going on, but in those figurative spiritual battles, and there are angels involved, and there are archangels, and there are evil spirits, and there's Satan, and, and Michael the archangel, and you have this, these angelic battles that are going on, but as these angelic battles are going on, you have literal historical events that are happening here on earth okay so here in the book of nehemiah we have the chronological historical account of what's happening on earth but don't miss the big picture here that this is a spiritual warfare that's going on and the the kingdom of god is conquering by the end of it the kingdom of darkness and the spiritual warfare so in this <clears throat> 
natural battle that Satan is working through the enemies of Israel, particularly Sambalad and Tobiah and these people that surround Jerusalem who hate God's people, Satan is working through them. And as Satan is trying to work through them, he begins, as we've discussed before, with ridicule and with mocking and threats for physical violence, threats that we're going to kill you. They pressed through the ridicule and they still had a mind to work. They got a little bit nervous when their physical life was threatened, even though, as we mentioned before, that was most likely an empty threat. I doubt they would have followed through on that because it would have really meant their own death. But anyone's going to be a little bit nervous when somebody threatens your physical life, right? As you, as you should be. And in a natural sense, they take the appropriate precautions. They put uh, half of the people on guard to watch for any enemy attacks. They uh, allocate those duties, half of them on guard and half of them working on the wall. And even for those that were working on the wall, they built the wall with one hand and they had a sword in their other hand. As we discussed for you before, that's how we build in the kingdom of God today as well. We are focused on building. We are kingdom builders first, but also we wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God to defend the attacks of Satan, right? So they have pressed through up to this point. They have overcome all of the obstacles of Satan and the, the, the wall is at least half built by Nehemiah chapter 4 and in verse 6. So they're progressing on really well. And these external persecutions, these external um, pressures from Satan have not been successful up to this point. So now, what avenue of attack does Satan try to wield? If external persecution doesn't work, now this is, this is always his first option, but it's more difficult for him. If external persecution doesn't work, he now resorts to internal division, to break unity, to cause conflict among God's people because there's nothing that will fracture a great work in the kingdom faster than division and conflict among God's people. So, External persecution isn't getting it done (laughs) up to this. Even the threat of death is not getting it done. So now Satan focuses his attack on internal division among God's people. Nehemiah chapter 5 and in verse 1. There was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, we Our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, take we up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. 
neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. We'll leave off there for now. Hopefully we will make it through the the rest of the chapter. Uh, Nehemiah rebukes them for uh, charging um, usury, charging interest, which was against the law, against the Mosaic law. But they were doing that. He rebukes them for doing that. And then their concern is that they're not going to be able to provide food for their families during this time. And by the end of the chapter, Nehemiah has this provision as governor uh, of uh, the Persian representative as the governor there. Uh, He had a governmental allocation of food that he gave to the people that he fed 150 people because of this provision that he had of the Persian king. So he displayed his consistent um, selfless leadership by giving of his own portion as the governor of uh, that Persian province in Jerusalem. He used that provision of the Persian government to provide for those that said they couldn't provide for their families. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 1. Here we find Satan working with the people, but also notice specifically the wives. Okay, now back up to what happened here in the conclusion of Nehemiah chapter 4. I understand why the wives were upset because the uh, men were not coming home. They were literally invested in this work on a 24-7 basis and they slept by the walls. They watched at night, they worked during the day, and they did not go home. They slept where they were working on this wall. Now, notice, though, that their concern, the wives' concern, and then other people as well, but the wives are highlighted here, that these objections, these concerns, are not just fictitious complaints. These are real, valid concerns that we need to have a discussion about. Okay, uh, because the the men, the husbands that were to provide for their wives and provide for their families, this time period was during harvest time. Okay, and they're saying, "Listen, I'm all for rebuilding the wall, right? But let's make sure that we harvest our crops right now. Let's put this off." A little bit because now's harvest time and we need to make sure number one we get enough food to pay for our uh, to provide food for our children and our families and then also we have to have a good crop to be able to pay for our mortgages and to pay our taxes you know it's kind of funny there's no new thing under the sun is there what are people complaining about possessions food debt and taxes right <laughs> there's no new things under the sun and these are all valid concerns because I want to make sure we highlight the timeline here uh, Nehemiah felt a burden to begin praying in the ninth month, which equates uh, to later on in the, in the previous year, so to say. The first month is when he made the request to the king. That's in the March to April time frame of our, of our calendar. The work began in the fourth month. That equates to June and July, and it was completed in the sixth month, which is August and September. So June to September, okay, June, July to August, September, it's harvest time. Right? 
this effort that they have put into planting these crops, now it's time to go harvest these. And they had to display a great amount of faith in God to, number one, leave that work of heart, which is a, which is a good and proper work, right? They needed to do that. They needed to provide for their families. But this work of God was urgent. It was primary. And this work in in this period of 52 days, it's more important for us to be working on the wall than harvesting crops. Okay, And, And it takes a lot of faith, not just for those men, but for that entire family to be committed to that. You know, I think back about when the Lord commanded um, the Israelites that that seventh year you let the land rest. Boy, it takes a lot of faith to be willing to trust God enough that we're not going to plant anything this year. Now, the reason why you should have faith, the reason why you should have faith is because God was going to provide for you because you should have got double the last year, right? But what what happens? We get a little bit greedy, right? We get double in year six, but we're going to go ahead and plant anyway because now we can get even a little bit more on top of that double we got we got last year. But it takes a lot of faith to say, I'm not going to plant any crops this year. I'm going to trust God to take care. And then you fast forward to the year of Jubilee. You're the 49th year where they didn't plant. And then you didn't plant on the 50th year either in the year of Jubilee. And fast forward, Israelites being just like us, they get a little bit nervous and, hey, we got kids to feed. We've got bills to pay. We've got taxes and we've got mortgages so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and plant this year on the seventh year. Well, you fast forward, and they did that 70 times that they neglected that. And what did the Lord do? He sent them into Babylonian captivity for 70 years because they didn't have enough faith to trust him that he was going to provide for them in that, making the, in a natural sense, the illogical decision, isn't it? <laughs> it's a little bit, now in the big scheme of things, we know how that really helps the the soil replenish and you know that's been proven in in modern day agriculture but but in a natural sense in a natural sense but it takes a lot of faith to say we're not going to plant that seventh year and there came a time where they weren't willing to walk by faith in doing that and neglected it for 70 years and the lord sent them into babylonian captivity for 70 years because they neglected that for 490 years okay so very similar situation here it's, it is peak harvest time, and the, and the wives are saying, guys, I'm all for the, the rebuilding of the wall, right? I mean, I'm all for us having uh, protection from our enemies, but let's get the harvest done, and then you can go back to the work. You know, it's very important that we have our priorities aligned, right? Because these are valid concerns, especially from, from the wives, but... Even valid concerns, you know, there, there's a time and a season for everything. And this season, this season was not a season of harvesting. This season was a season of rebuilding, right? And they had to keep their eye on the ball. They had to keep their eye focused on what they had been called to. And Satan uses... <laughs> 
uh, as uh, my good friend Elder Tim McCool quotes a deacon from uh, Bethlehem Church, Elder uh, Brother uh, Furman Burkhalter, I believe, who who typically says that Satan comes at you sideways, right? He comes at you in ways you don't expect. I don't think, you know, we're nervous about Sam Blatt and Tobiah, <laughs> and we're uh, we are. Uh, strong and, and focused on, on making sure that we uh, press through any persecution that, that the, these wicked men are going to uh, throw at us. But I don't think they were really expecting the wives to start turning on them, right? But boy, there's nothing that Satan desires more than not only conflict and division among the people of the kingdom of God, but conflict and division among families, Okay, because strong churches are built up by strong families, and Satan knows this. So the best way for me to attack the the health and the strength of the church and the kingdom of God as a whole is for me to go right to the foundation. If I can put cracks in the foundation of the individual families, then the churches that build upon those individual families. Will, will be very unstable and not strong churches. And, Sa- and Satan knows really well, <clears throat> number one, the power of unity and also the, um, the inability to function at all when people are in disunity, okay? Uh, now think about this on the negative side how Satan has learned his lesson. You know, Satan has 6,000 years of experience to learn lessons about the best, most effective way to try to tempt and deceive God's people. And there was a time in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel that there, there were men that were unified in a negative way, Right? Those, those wicked men were unified to build this wall up to heaven for their own glory, rebelling against the glory of God. Now, what did God do? What did God do? They were unified in this work to build this great tower. What did God do? To foil the devices of Satan. Well, he sent uh, a division of the languages and that work, they were all committed to building this great tower, but now all of a sudden they can't communicate. Now all of a sudden they're all, all of a sudden speaking different languages, and what happens? That whole work just folds. And Satan learned that. Satan learned that lesson very well. Which, by the way, as a, as a side note to that, he learned that, that lesson very, very well. Because I believe that is especially what Satan has done in the muddying of the waters of all of these various translations of the Bible that come from corrupt texts and all of God's people are all speaking different languages, right? There's not one common text that we're all speaking the same language. Instead, Satan said, man, that worked really good against me. (laughs) So let me use that same tactic against the kingdom of God. And boy, Hasn't it worked so successfully that him muddying the waters by lack of, of unified communication among God's people that 
you know, it seems like in my interactions with people in their, quote, preferred version of the Bible, it, it lends so much to us exalting my opinion over God's opinion and God's word. It's like, well, I prefer this version. I prefer this one. I prefer that. It doesn't matter what you prefer. It matters what is the most authentic integrity of an authentic representation of the original text. That's what matters, okay? Not that this version is more palatable for me. I like this the wording of this, I like the presentation of this better. No, what matters is that is this the true, authentic representation of the divinely inspired and preserved Word of God, right? So <clears throat> Satan knows that in my kingdom, in the kingdom of darkness, we can do some great things when we're unified. And the Lord foiled that at the Tower of Babel. And I also see, especially, we spent a long time in the book of Acts, right? And we tried to focus on that and the unity and that consistent language of the church being of one accord and of one heart and of one soul and having singleness of mind. And look what the Lord did through a church that was in perfect unity, right? Powerful things in the book of Acts. And, uh, through a church that was in perfect unity, so Satan understands the, the power of people with a common goal, with a common vision, with a zeal and excitement for that, the power of that. And it's sobering to think about, but we just need to understand this and accept it, that there is very little division in the kingdom of darkness. They are focused on what their goal is. And they are unified in their goal. And it's so important upon uh, uh, it's so important and incumbent upon us that we understand our responsibility to be evangelizing people for the kingdom of God because Satan and the kingdom of darkness are evangelizing everyone every single day. And we've got to be evangelizing every day just to keep up. And if you don't think Satan in the kingdom of darkness is evangelizing you every single day, then Satan's got you exactly where he wants you. <laughs> you're not sober. You're not vigilant. You're not uh, assessing the things of this world through the lens of the word of God. And Satan's desire is to corrupt families, to turn families against one. Isn't that the narrative that you see in the culture today? Trying to turn children against parents. Right? Where does that come from? That's not random. That's not random. That's Satan. That's Satan trying to put fractures in the unity of the family. Because if he can, if he can have division and lack of trust and lack of unity in the individual families, then the church is is going to crumble right along with the crumbling of the family. And and really, is that not what we've seen in the uh, in the church? The family has crumbled, and the church has diminished and faded in America right along with it, right? I mean, we, should, we have to be honest together, right? I mean, the statistics say, uh, which, by the way, I was going to warn against uh, uh, verses 2, 3, and 4, the, the three um, 
accusations that were made against uh, the, the this great work were similar wording to what we would say they say da 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 they say by the way don't ever trust anything when it when they say when they say that they said it right <laughs> don't ever trust that don't ever trust that now if it makes sense verify it either through independent sources or through the word of god right but don't ever take when somebody says well they say da 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 number one you need to find out who they are verify it and fact check it yourself okay but that's essentially what we have here is they say that we're not going to be be able to provide for our families we're not going to be able to pay our mortgages we're not going to be able to pay our taxes <clears throat> but satan is trying to put out this this subtle there have been times. There have been times in uh, history where Satan has been very bold, and it's rarely turned out good for him. And I think over time he's realized, but he can't. He can't help himself because he's full. Of, he's full of pride. Lucifer is full of pride. That that God is full of love and holiness and, and meekness. Well, Satan is full of pride. Okay, so right now he's very wily putting all of his messages out on, on social media and television and all these different platforms. And it's just like sinking in by osmosis. But there's going to come a time where Satan can't help himself. And then he gets back to his bold attempts right before the Lord's second coming. And again, that didn't turn out well for him either, right? Because Jesus Christ comes back and consumes him with the, with the spirit of his, of his coming. But Satan is very deceptive. He's very wily. And he is trying to turn the children against the parents and the parents against the children, right? Is that not the narrative that we see in the general culture today? I was just see, uh, seeing these headlines. I, I, I hope it hasn't made its way to Mississippi, uh, but it's only a matter of time, uh, about this concealing of teachers who are trying to promote to children that they're not of their biological gender that they are concealing that from their parents. I mean, I saw someone say this week that you can't even give a child a Tylenol or go on a field trip without parental consent, right? You can't do hardly anything in a school system without parental consent, but yet they are trying to convince these children that they're of an entirely different gender, but don't tell your parents about it because they may tell you that there's two genders based on biology and based on science and based on the word of God. And that's happening in our public school systems. And do you think that's random? Do you think these are individual people who are, who are just, uh, have a vendetta against these individual people. No, this is Satan working through principalities, 
powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the institutions of this world. And his goal is to do what? It is to turn the children against the parents and the parents against the children. Now, go to the book of Malachi, by the way. What was the ministry of John the Baptist who came in the spirit and power of Elijah? Is to this, wreck, this, this fracture between parents and, and children. What was, what was his ministry? It was to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the children to the parents, right? That's what the gospel does. That's what the kingdom does. The kingdom brings family families together. And that's, that's why we have the privilege of worshiping in a family integrated setting here in the Primitive Baptist Church, right? Because we believe in families being together. Satan is all about separation of family. And by the way, isn't that so subtle? I mean, we love people in other denominations, don't we? We love them for Christ's sake, but they don't understand that that is the, they don't, they're not following the devices of Satan, but Satan has just very subtly put these things in here where they don't even understand that you're fracturing and separating the family, even in the church. What the, the point I was trying to make earlier about how, about how Satan has just generally destroyed the family and the church has followed, uh, those statistics, I don't know where those statistics come from. Again, they say, you know, you need to see, when you see a statistic, you need to see the sample size and, and who did it, right? But according to they say, I know I'm being hypocritical here, but they say <laughs> uh, that these, these supposed uh, polls of evangelical, they supposedly say they're an evangelical Christian, if those things are to be trusted, the divorce rate is the exact same in Christianity as it is in the rest of the world, right? Satan has subtly corrupted the family, and now all of a sudden you have the fracturing of the family. And what, what happens when the family gets fractured and divided? The church struggles. And is that not the exact pattern that we have seen in America over the last 50 years, right? He's been so successful in it, okay? Back up to uh, the book of Job. I mean, Satan, the Lord removes his providential hedge, and Satan just pours out all of this horrible suffering upon Job. But even in that, he said, you know, he lost his, lost his possessions, he lost his wealth, he lost his business, and he lost his children. But even then, he said, Lord giveth, Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And then the Lord removed his providential heads just a little bit more. And then Satan was able to afflict his natural health. And he still stood strong in that. But then what did Satan do? <laughs> he started working on the wife. And the wife said, you need to curse God and die. And Job said, I love you, honey. This is not in the, in the KJV text. But he, I'm sure he said, I love you, honey. But you are among the foolish women. <laughs> okay? You're wrong. What did Satan do? And did she know that she was probably being used by Satan in that moment? Did, did Peter, when he was telling Jesus, oh, no, 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 you're not going to go to the cross. You're not going to be crucified. You're not going to die. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He didn't know that. He didn't know he was being subtly moved and guided by Satan to try to detract from that work. And I don't think Job's wife probably knew it either. And these women, you know, they, they weren't just coming up with sinful thoughts. These were valid concerns. But Satan's intention was to try to thwart the advancement of this great work, okay? And by the way, we need to redeem the time. I, in a natural sense, boy, I'm, I'm, it scares me how practical I am sometimes because it prevents me from walking by faith. 
in a natural sense, I, I would have listened to their concerns. And you know what? Outside of Nehemiah's bold leadership, because he was just, well, he had a fire in his belly. And he was not going to let go of that until the work was done. But in a natural sense, I would have said, you know, I think they got a valid point, right? We can wait two months. I mean, what's the big deal, really? I mean, we can wait two months till after harvest time. Let's get all the crops harvested, and then we'll get right back on the wall, right? That's, that would probably be my counsel to them, right? Because that's how I think. I would say, yes, you know what? You got a really good point. A winter time. <laughs> What if tax day, okay, let's, let's make it a little bit more practical, right? When, when was this? Uh, bear with me for a minute. They completed this work. The 25th day of the month, Elo, the 25th day, okay, of the sixth month. What if taxes were due on the 20th day, right? <laughs> right? What if taxes were due on the 20th day? I'd be a little bit nervous. How are we going to pay our tax bill, right? This is an accountant. How are we going to pay our tax bill, right? You know what? I think you got some valid points, ladies. Let's just take a break. Let's take a break. Let's take a two, three-month break. And I'll tell you, when, when we get everything settled in the, in the harvest, we get every, all of the crops in the barn, then we're going to get back to the work. Well, you know what? That's the kind of attitude that had developed generations before. And by the way, that's the environment where the book of Haggai and the book of Zechariah were moved to prophesy is because there came a time where they said, you know what? Oh, the time's not now. Yes, we have this, this government decree that, oh, we really don't need to be doing this. Oh, the time's not now for us to build. But it is time for us to build our own houses with sealed walls and sealed houses and all this stuff. Well, that's what had happened generations before is because guess what? A two-month break turns into a what? About a 15-year break. That's what happened a few years before, a few generations before. There were circumstances that, oh, well, it may be a little bit difficult for us to do this, so let's just take a break. Next thing you know, that break's 15 years. And the house is neglected. The house of God is neglected but they weren't neglecting their own houses. They were building their own houses up, up really nice and neat. You see? So in my mind, in my practical mind, I think I would have, uh, you know, I'm just viewing myself as the pastor <laughs> here and the, all the women, all the sisters are coming to you and said, listen, we got to get these guys to go out in the field and harvest. I think my first inclination would have been, you know what? I think you got a good point. Let's get these guys out in the fields and we'll get back on this work three months from now. But we're called to redeem the time. Redeem the time because when we are called to something, I do, we don't. There is no guarantee if the Lord opens a door today that that door is going to be as wide open as it is today three months from now. Now, it may, it may still have a crack, okay? It may still have a crack, and the Lord's gracious, praise the Lord, because the Lord knows we don't, we don't capitalize on those situations the way that we need to. And the Lord knows that. He knows we're but dust, thankfully. And he doesn't, he doesn't just write us off for one or two or even 20 mistakes because 
We, we are not as vigilant as we need to be in the moment. But don't ever assume that if God opens a door today, don't ever assume it's going to be there three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. You work while it is day. You redeem the time. And when that door is open, you press through it with zeal and with gusto and with fire. And you know what? If you do that, the Lord's going to take care of everything else. He's going to take care of your food. He's going to take care of your taxes. He's going to take care of your debt. He's going to all these natural concerns. He's going to take care of that. But if the Lord calls me to do something for his kingdom, and I feel that it is absolutely of the Holy Spirit and absolutely of the Lord, even if it, even if it doesn't make all the sense in the, the most practical sense in the world, don't be very cautious. Be very cautious in delaying that because there is no guarantee that that door is going to be wide open if they may, would have made the practical decision to wait three months and then we'll get back to building. Okay? <clears throat> so, Satan is trying to very craftily, very secretively use the somewhat valid complaint of these wives to throw water to throw cold water on the heat and the zealous advancement of this work, okay? By the way, something we wanted to mention earlier, um, Satan knows really well what Jesus said in the Gospels. Jesus was accused of casting out devils by Beelzebub. And he said, look, if I'm doing that, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. If I was casting out devils by Beelzebub, then that would mean that the kingdom is divided and even, even his kingdom, Satan's kingdom, can't stand. So Satan knows the words of Jesus really well. That's the words of God. That a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, right? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And then let's put it in all the other applications of the, of the, the church. A body divided against itself how, how healthy is that body going to be? Not healthy at all, right? A kingdom divided against itself, it's not going to stand, right? And, and what the reason why Satan, his, his gold mind is always to bring division in the church. Okay? Because if there's division in the church, he doesn't even have to worry about all this external persecution. He doesn't have to worry about any of that, does he? No, they're just folding on their own because they're bickering about things that are insignificant. Okay? Division in the church is always Satan's number one target. But it's not always his first option because he doesn't have control over that, does he? He only has an opportunity for division, going back to what we've said before, we have to make sure our portion of the wall is secure, right? We have to make sure our individual devotion to the Lord is secure. And when he sees a crack, now all of a sudden I can, I can um, try to exploit that. He has control over through the wicked, through the unregenerate, through evil spirits. He has control up to the providential hedge of God, right? He has no authority to do any more than... God suffers him to do outside of his providential hedge. But up to that providential hedge, Satan can galvanize his forces at any time 
to bring persecution upon the people of God. But he does not have the ability to just flip a switch and, um, and try to exploit division because he doesn't have control over that, does he? He only has an opportunity for it if we give him an opportunity. He only has the ability to stir up strife and division and conflict in the kingdom of God among the unified church. He only has the ability to do that if we give him the option, if we give him the ability to do that. Okay? So it's vitally important. One of the major principles of the book of Nehemiah is making sure that our portion of the wall is strong and secure because that is how the whole kingdom is strong and secure. And if your individual wife, and especially what we're talking about today, if your individual family is serving the Lord zealously, focused, and we all make mistakes, we all have little bitty cracks, but they shouldn't be big enough for a whole uh, person to go through it in a natural sense, right? So Satan is stirring up this internal division for the purpose of thwarting the work because external persecution isn't working. Okay, now Nehemiah rebukes them. He rebukes them for this attitude. And over time, you know, if we are not consistently exposed, if we are not consistently exposed to the Word of God, we need to rid it ourselves, but also you have to be in public worship to not forsake this assembling of yourselves together because we are all prone that, yes, I may go through my day the Bible reading or I may read the parts of the Bible that I want or that I prefer or that I like, but it's sitting under the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel most of the time is how the Holy Spirit will give you clarity about the things that you are falling short in. Because it's very easy, it's very easy for us to self-justify and very easily skip over the things in our personal Bible reading that maybe we're not doing the best in the world. Now, these people in this time period, they weren't living in abject idolatry the way that generations past had. But you want to know what they were doing? They were putting their kindred in bondage which was contrary to the Mosaic Law, and they were charging usury and interest on transactions in, in, in involving their kindred that was contrary to the Mosaic Law. And you know what? It probably would have been... I, I bet most of these people said, oh, I read, I read the Torah every day, right? But you know what? That part that... Uh, you know, the old joke of the preacher that says, oh, you know, Ephesians 1 is not in my Bible. I cut it out, Right? Well, you don't have to cut it out. It's very easy to just skip over it, right? Oh, oh, I know what that verse says. Oh, I'm not supposed to charge usury against my, my kindred. Oh, well, I'll just, I'll just skip over that part. I know I'm not supposed to put my kindred in bondage. Oh, I'll just skip over that part. I'm going to go read the Psalms. I really like those, those Psalms. They really encourage me. But what happens when you sit under the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Spirit is moving is that those verses that you might have a tendency to skip over, the Holy Spirit will usually put it right in front of your face, right? 
that's what Nehemiah does. He said, listen, guys, you are operating contrary to the word of God, right? You're doing things that are in exact opposition. And what do you need to do? What do you need to do? Repent. Repent. And also make restitution. He tells them that. Those of you that are charged interest, you make restitution. You shouldn't have been doing it to start with, and you make that other person whole because you shouldn't have been doing it to start with. Okay? You, you restore unto them the money that you got from them in doing something that was contrary to the Word of God. Okay? Now, let's just go ahead and kind of skip uh, that portion of it. Um, he, uh, he calls them out, and he deals with the complaints. He calls them out for their uh, neglect of some of the uh, finer points of the law, and you need to repent of that. And he also calls them on the carpet for accountability that you're going to make an oath and a promise that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. Verse 12, then said they, we will restore them and we'll require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priest and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. And boy, the Lord, when you make an oath in the name of the Lord, he takes it seriously, right? He made them, in today's terms, put their hand on the Bible and swear to Almighty God that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And boy, you're going to be in a bad spot if you make that kind of an oath and then you don't follow through with that, right? <clears throat> so now, the one of the greatest concerns of this people was that we don't have enough food to... It's funny in various instances uh, in the Word of God, how people try to say it's all, it's all about the kids, right? We, not only are we not going to be able to feed our families, but are you going to let your little son, your daughter starve? You know, I remember uh, when the people of Israel were getting ready to go into um, the land of Canaan and they sent the spies and then they got deceived by the 10 out of the 12 spies, right? And when they came back, they said, are you going to allow our children to be devoured by the... It's, it's, it's all about the kids. The reality is they were just afraid and not willing to walk in faith. But the way they presented it is, oh, how, how, how dare you put our kids in danger? Well, you don't know what the Lord did? <laughs> that generation, they died. Guess who went into, the, into Canaan's land? Those same kids. Right? The kids who you tried to use as an excuse, they're the ones who ended up going in a whole generation later. So the wives, they're saying, look, it's not just about me, right? It's about the kids. It's about the family. Well, what is more important? The Lord's going to provide for their, for their food, right? The Lord's promised us that. Matthew chapter 6. God takes care of the lilies. He takes care of the ravens. He's going to take care of your food. He's going to take care of your raiment. He promised us that especially if you put the kingdom of God first and foremost, right? Now, on the, on the contrast to that, by the way, if you put the kingdom of God first and foremost, he's going to provide for your food. He's going, to provide for, he's going to provide for all your basic necessities. But there came a time where the prodigal son was down in the pig pen in nasty clothes eating hog slop, wanting to eat hog slop. You want to know why he got in that state and the Lord wasn't providing for him as manifestly? Because he wouldn't put the kingdom of God first and foremost, right? So if you put the kingdom of God first and foremost, you may struggle a little bit more. <laughs> but if you put the kingdom of God first, God's going to make sure 
that you were provided for. And they, they should know that, right? God gave them manna, their forefathers. He gave them manna in the wilderness every day. Boy, our God's so good, isn't he? Isn't he so merciful? I think about that so often. Those, those rebellious, that rebellious generation that were going to die in the wilderness, they died in the wilderness, but the Lord still gave them manna every single day. He allowed their shoes to not wear out. He allowed their clothes to not wear out, even though they were rebel. And it, you want to know who it hurt? It hurt them. It didn't hurt the Lord any. Now, it hurt the Lord as a loving Heavenly Father. It hurt his heart to have to chastise his children because of their disobedience. But you want to know who that hurt, their disobedience? It hurt them because they didn't press into the kingdom. But you want to know what the Lord did? Even though they were disobedient, even though they had to suffer, they, they had to reap the consequences of what they'd sown, the Lord still gave that rebellious generation that was going to die in the wilderness, he still gave them manna every single day. He still allowed their shoes to not wear out. He still allowed their raiment to not wear out until the day they died, okay? So if you put the kingdom first, and if you have to make that kind of a decision, okay, I have this practical, somewhat reasonable thing, but the Lord's calling me to this. You know, that, that may be a difficult decision, but you know what? If you step out in faith and you do what the Lord's calling you to do, the Lord is gonna take care of your basic necessity. Now, we gotta make sure that we understand what's important in life. He may take away, he may strip out some of that excess though. He might do that. He might strip away, you know, if you really enjoy uh, these expensive hobbies and you really enjoy these really nice vacations and you really enjoy all this, all this excess, hey, putting the kingdom of God first and foremost, it may strip out a little bit of that. But he's going to take care of your basic necessities. He's promised that. So how does the Lord provide? These men are willing to not labor in the harvest for this great work. How does the Lord provide for their food? In the providence of God, the end or, or the the uh, the ultimate uh, provider of this food is who? The Persian government, right? Nehemiah is the governor. He remains the governor for twelve years, and he has this huge, apparently ridiculous, um, excess provision. He gets so much food as the governor of as the Persian governor, representative of this province of Jerusalem. He gets so much food that he's able to feed 150 people with this food. <laughs> okay? So, not only does the Lord open the door for uh, him to return and the Persian government provides the materials for the rebuilding of this wall, it even, in the latter half of this work, when they were saying, oh, we can't... <laughs> provide for our families. We can't feed our family. We can't feed our kids. Our kids are going to die because they don't have something to eat. The Lord uses the provision of the Persian government to provide the food for all the workers and all the families, right? <laughs> That's how the Lord works, you see? When the Lord is moving in his providence, he's going to provide in ways that we just don't expect. We just don't see coming, right? I, I doubt these people even knew how much the Persian governor had because the Persian governor up to this point had never dispersed it to the people at all. They probably didn't even know this was an option. God knew it was an option, right? And in, in Nehemiah's strong, selfless leadership, he said, all this stuff that's allocated to me by the Persian government as the governor, I'm going to give it to you 
to absolve your concerns. And what happens? Now they're well fed. Their, their complaints have been resolved. Let's get back to work, right? Now, now, guess what? The complaints of the wives have been resolved. Now, the family is not in conflict. The family is in unity in support of this work now, right? Okay, and then he concludes this chapter. Nehemiah makes this sacrifice of providing the food. Essentially, he was the Persian government was the cafeteria to provide for all of the workers that were doing this work. And then he concludes this by saying in verse 19, Think upon me, my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. And I don't think that's a very prideful prayer. I think he's saying, Lord, just acknowledge the sacrifice that I'm making. Not for myself. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for the kingdom. I'm doing it for the work. Okay? But Lord, not that I would be exalted, but Lord, honor this sacrifice that I'm making and you continue to guide this work to be accomplished to your glory. And then the next chapter that we're making our way to is that the crowning jewel of this is they overcome it and they finished this wall in 52 days, which was just impossible, right? It was an impossible task. And it was, it was quote, bad timing too. In their mind, especially in the wives' mind for a little bit, these 52 days, they need to be spent out in the fields harvesting the crops. But the Lord had a more important work for them to be doing during this time. During these 52 days, there was a greater work for them to accomplish than just reaping the annual harvest. Okay? Satan's trying to... I just, I just love the sovereignty of God and the, the overruling providence of God. I just lo- I love it. I love it. Because Satan feels like he's got a little bit of an avenue. You know, the, the Lord gives him just a little bit of dangles a little bit in front of him and he thinks he's going to take advantage of it and then the Lord just stomps his head again, right? He just crushes his head yet again. He crushes his head on the cross in a, in a final sense, but every single step of the way where Satan is trying to, to thwart this work, Jesus is just continually crushing his head on a daily basis through the faithfulness of these individual people. And we pray, we pray that the Lord will preserve unity in the church and in the kingdom of God, right? Because the last thing we ever want to be is our worst enemy. Preserve unity in the kingdom of God because, boy, there are some powerful things that can be done when a church is of one mind, of one heart, of one soul, of one accord, in singleness of heart following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, well, there are some great miraculous works that can be accomplished through people that are that in tune with the leadership of the Spirit and our head, Jesus Christ, as the head and the authority of the church. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. 
For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.